Hey y'all, Eve's here. We're doubling up today with two events in history. One from me and one from former host Tracy V. Wilson. On with the show. Welcome to this day in history class from HowStuffWorks.com and from the desk of Stuff You Missed in History Class. It's the show where we explore the past one day at a time with a quick look at what happened today in history. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Tracy V. Wilson and it's August 24th. Vesuvius destroyed the cities of Pompeii and Herculaneum and other surrounding cities in a volcanic eruption on this day in the year 79. Pompeii was a really bustling port city. It was very wealthy and elegant. It had a thriving wool industry. The land was very conducive to sheep. It's also very conducive to growing grapes. There were beautiful vineyards. All of this wealth and affluence came because Pompeii was on incredibly rich soil, and the soil was incredibly rich because it was on a volcano. The city was also home to a lot of tourism, and some of that tourism was quite decadent. When this eruption happened, about 20,000 people were either living in the area or visiting. Leading up to this, though, there had been some signs that maybe something was going on with the volcano. There had been a significant earthquake about 15 years before, There had been some changes to the tides and to the waves on the ocean. And then on August 24th of the year 79, the eruption sent a massive plume of ash into the sky. This thing was so big that it could be seen from miles around. People could see it from really far away. It was so huge, though, they couldn't tell which mountain it was coming from. As this ash cooled, it started to fall on Pompeii and Herculaneum and these other cities. And at first, this was just a really fine ash fall. Other material that was in there was mostly really light. It was things like pumice. So it wasn't like giant, hard, heavy boulders hitting people. People were frightened, but it wasn't deadly yet. So at first, people tried to evacuate, and a lot of them were successful. But by night, this ashfall became really dense and heavy, and what followed was a series of pyroclastic surges. This is when there's a giant surge of hot, often toxic gas and other material that ejects out from the volcano. One of these pyroclastic surges hit Herculaneum and killed anyone who was still there instantly, either melting or vaporizing their flesh. In both of these cities and the other communities that were nearby, people died under the weight of the ash. Some of them were crushed inside their homes as the roofs caved in, where they died of suffocation or asphyxiation outside. This was a huge tragedy. Anyone who hadn't been able to flee early enough died, and the people who came back who tried to find their homes or their family members instead found a layer of ash so thick that there was nothing they could even get to. Eventually, though, all of this rich volcanic soil attracted people back to the area again. People basically lived on top of these buried cities for about 1,700 years. And then in 1748, the ruins of Pompeii were rediscovered. An organized dig started, one of the first to use more modern principles of archaeology. Some of this was still pretty primitive, but there was a more methodical excavation that followed a mapped-out grid. But even with methodical digging wasn't necessarily being done totally for scientific study. A lot of people who were involved were really trying to find a treasure to take home for themselves. Archaeology at Pompeii and the surrounding cities has been ongoing for a lot of the years since then. There have been some pauses during things like World Wars because homes were preserved and because the burying of the city was almost instantaneous 
we get a huge sense of what life was like in ancient Rome, thanks to how well-preserved so much of it is. This includes the buildings. This includes the people who were in the buildings. It includes a lot of graffiti. In 1997, it was named a UNESCO World Heritage Site, and the ongoing excavations continue to bring up interesting things. In 2018, one skeleton was found that looked as though the person's skull had been crushed by a massive piece of debris as they were trying to flee. The internet named these remains the world's unluckiest man. But as researchers looked into it a little further, they discovered that his upper body had fallen into a tunnel that had been dug during those not-quite-as-established archaeological dig times of the 1700s or 1800s. Probably this person died of asphyxiation while trying to escape, like a lot of other people did. Vesuvius, though, still an active volcano. Thanks to Tari Harrison for her audio skills on this podcast. And you can learn more about Pompeii on the October 19th, 2009 episode of Stuff You Missed in History Class. You can subscribe to This Day in History Class on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcasts. And you can tune in tomorrow for a hoax that's pretty silly, even as hoaxes go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to This Day in History class, where we bring you a new tidbit from history every day. The day was August 24, 1972. Dr. Merlin K. Duvall, Assistant Secretary of the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, announced that there would be an investigation into the Tuskegee syphilis study. The Tuskegee study of untreated syphilis in the Negro male, as it was called, began in 1932. The U.S. Public Health Service had joined with the Tuskegee Institute, a historically black school in Alabama, to study the natural history of syphilis. At the time, syphilis and other sexually transmitted infections were a major issue in the U.S. Large-scale efforts to fight STIs had been underway since World War I, during which STIs were a common cause for disability and absence from duty in the Army. But many people living in poverty in rural areas still did not have access to treatment. When they did have access to medicine, they were often not able to afford it. The Public Health Service and the Julius Rosenwald Fund, a philanthropic foundation, collaborated in treating people with syphilis in the South in the late 1920s and early 1930s. But the Great Depression hit, and in 1932, the fund pulled out of the treatment program, which had expanded to five states. The Public Health Service did not have the resources to continue the program on its own. So instead of focusing on treatment, the PHS decided to switch directions and study the effects of untreated syphilis on living people. Black people were widely affected by syphilis, and researchers were studying racial differences in the effects of the STI. The PHS turned to the Tuskegee Institute, known for its service in Black communities, for help in launching its new study. In exchange, the PHS paid Tuskegee, trained its interns, and employed its nurses. The PHS also worked with Black community leaders to encourage participation in the study. 
Many people were willing to participate since they had no access to medical care otherwise. On top of that, participants got food and transportation, and family members got burial stipends. In the beginning, 600 Black men were signed up for the study, 399 with syphilis and 201 who did not have syphilis. But the participants were not told that they had syphilis. Instead, they were told that they had bad blood, a catch-all colloquialism that was used to describe several illnesses. The study was supposed to last six months. Study participants were monitored, but they were only given placebos like aspirin. That was even the case after the PHS began to give people with syphilis penicillin as treatment in 1943, and after penicillin became the recommended treatment for syphilis in 1947. The researchers wanted to track the full progression of syphilis, so they gave participants no effective care. Syphilis, left untreated for many years, can spread to the brain or eye and cause paralysis, dementia, blindness, and even death. Still, once local health departments began working with the PHS to track people who had left Macon County, Alabama, they too kept study participants from receiving treatment. But in the 1960s, PHS employee Peter Buxton was an STI interviewer and investigator, and he found out about the Tuskegee study and raised concerns about its ethics. But the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, which controlled the study, determined that the study needed to continue with the support of the American Medical Association and the National Medical Association. Officials wanted to see the study through until participants died and they analyzed all the data they collected. So Buxton leaked the story. And in July of 1972, Associated Press reporter Jean Heller broke the story. The next month, it was announced that an ad hoc panel would investigate the study. The panel recommended ending the Tuskegee experiment immediately, and on November 16th, Merlin Duvall, Assistant Secretary of Health in the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, issued an administrative order shutting it down. By then, 28 participants died from syphilis, 100 others died from syphilis-related complications, 40 spouses of participants had also been diagnosed with syphilis, and the infection had been passed to 19 children of the participants. In 1973, Senator Edward Kennedy held congressional subcommittee meetings that resulted in new guidelines for working with human subjects in U.S. government-funded studies. That same year, a class action lawsuit was filed on behalf of the participants and their families. A $10 million out-of-court settlement was reached in 1974. The Tuskegee Health Benefit Program was created and it began providing lifetime medical benefits and burial services to living participants, to spouses of the living and deceased participants, and to their children. The last study participant died in 2004. The unethical experiment ignited a deep distrust in public health institutions among Black Americans. I'm Eve Jeffcoat, and hopefully you know a little more about history today than you did yesterday. Keep up with us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at TDIHC Podcast. Thanks for joining me on this trip through time. 
See you here in the exact same spot tomorrow. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows.